It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, podcaster, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And so, in this latest episode, I began to look into an issue that we've touched on in previous episodes, but perhaps not in as much depth as we ought to have done. Uh, the Union, uh, the State of the Union, what happens to the UK in the whole Brexit process. And so, I sat down with Stephen Gethins, SNP MP for North East Fife and his party's foreign affairs spokesman. And... I was also joined by Anand Menon, Director of UK in a Changing Europe. Uh, we discussed uh, Scottish independence, how that all fits in with the EU, a bit about proportional representation, and also things like golf. So if you enjoy any of those things, keep listening. Here we go. I'll be back at the end to discuss the points raised in this conversation coming at you now. The SNP just want independence. That's your sole driving force through all the Brexit nonsense, yes? If we just wanted, and we do want independence, you know, that's, that's no great scoop, but if we just wanted independence, we wouldn't have had a successful living year stint in um, government in Scotland. We want social justice, we want a fairer Scotland, we want a greener Scotland, we want a healthier Scotland. You know, all of these things that, we're all, that, that, that we are already achieving in government. And if you look at, at Scotland, in terms of, at the moment, if, if you look at the UK, you're going through one of the most serious political crises the UK as a whole, the British Isles, if you like, has ever gone through. Mm. And in Scotland, like them or loathe them or whatever else, you have a functioning, strong and stable, if you like, government delivering on its manifesto commitments. It's not something you can say down here in London. But the whole reason you've had 11 years of functioning government is to prove that you're really good uh, and can win an independence referendum. And, and the reason we're being really yeah. good. And the reason you want <laughs> the reason you want an independence <laughs> referendum is to because you think you'd be better placed to achieve, uh, you know, yeah. a greener, more prosperous, more socially equal uh, society with independence. You're right? absolutely right, right, James. Yes, because it gives us all the powers, if you like, the nor as I think about it, the normal powers that independence gives you. So you can tackle climate change, so you can tackle fairness. We're still reliant here for the majority of our funding. Mm-hmm. We're still reliant here on our relationship with the rest of the world, and that's why we're in such a mess with Brexit. Look at the way, right now, you've got Dublin, which is much more influential in Europe than London is, for the first time in its history. And people here don't like it very much. But that's good for Ireland, and it's good for the people of Ireland. And I'd like to see a case where... Edinburgh was just as influential, and that'd be good for Scotland. Actually, I think it'd be good for people across these islands because the UK's best friend in all of this, and your best friend is always your pal who tells you the truth when you might not want to hear the truth, has been Dublin throughout this process. And I used to go to European Council meetings, and Ireland and the UK were, you know, worked really closely together. Mm-hmm. And just imagine if the rest of the UK also had another full member state in these islands that it could rely on. So what odds a Spanish Prime Minister letting an independent Scotland into the EU? Well, the Spanish Foreign Minister just said just the other week they've got no problem with it because, 
you know, the UK constitution is different from the Spanish constitution. So that's something that Borrell said, it's something that the previous... Actually, it was something so Borrell, the socialist foreign minister, said it, but it was also something that the People's Party um, foreign minister said as well. So it's something that they... they, they because the Spanish have recognised that there's a different constitutional um, setup because Scotland retains its sovereignty and we have a different constitutional setup in the UK from the one in Spain and that's something that the Spanish the two biggest Spanish parties have both recognised See my temptation is to say they say that now but when push comes to shove actually, when people in Catalonia start saying hang on a sec that could be the, a model for us that Actually it's the other way around I mean you know they're, they're, they're seeing it now when we don't actually have independence independence empowers any country I mean Scotland is uh, already a, is a member of the European Union, it's met all of the acquis communautaire, um, it's been a member for 40 years, that given our economic output would be a net contributor. Um, that when At a time when you're looking at Montenegrin accession, when you've just had Bulgarian accession, why wouldn't you have Scottish accession? And actually Scotland would be, as well as having met all the acquis communautaire in terms of being a size that fits, Scotland would be a medium-sized, normal-sized European member state. And we're assuming Scotland wants to get into the EU, though. Well, two thirds. There's some dispute about this. That's well. Look, if you look at every single poll, right? Remain got sixty-two percent in the in in the referendum. Right? Yes. Yeah. Give me averages. Remain got sixty-two percent. Since then, we've had polls where it's touching on seventy percent. Remain, mm. but. When I speak to colleagues at other European parliaments, I mean, if you had an in-out referendum in pretty much any EU member state, except Ireland, where, given the madness here, they're up to about 95% at the moment, but they'd have taken 62%, bite your hand off for 62%. That's a pretty hefty... But also, remains not the same as join as an independent state. True. No, it's true. No, You're right, but yeah, of course... You're, you're, well, not, not just because right. it's different, but also because that brings up the border issue that we're wrestling with. with. Well... Does it? I mean, if you're going to have a soft border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, you know, why wouldn't you have a soft border between Scotland and England? Uh, well, this is this is a vital question. It's why possibly Theresa May wants a harder Brexit all along. Um, she doesn't. She's been really good. Well, who knows what she wants? But, but she, um, <laughs> there was an argument that if she had a harder Brexit, there. then it would keep Scotland in the Union because you would have a hard border. But obviously... But yeah, I mean, look, you can't have it both. You know, that's, I mean, cakeism, if you like. Well, there's a lot of that about these days. <laughs> there's, there's a lot, a lot of, of that about. about, yeah. Um, and you would... Uh, For the record, we've not been offered cake. Um, <laughs> well, come on, you've been offered, you've been offered whiskey, marmalades and tea towels. Cake. Some people are never happy, are they? There's a tonics caramel wafer. There is there. somewhere, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, going to be yeah. chewy in a minute. Yeah. Um, and you would sign up for the common fisheries policy when Scotland joins the East, independent Scotland joins the EU. Well, that's something that would be open to negotiation. But do you know one thing that I find really striking? All these Tories who are really happy to keep us in the, in the common fisheries policy never, ever um, approved our motions to take us out of the CFP. They always voted against it, say, oh, no, you can't do that. But what's really striking, and if you look at Iceland with the way it's prioritised fishing, if you look at other states that prioritise fishing, the UK never prioritised fishing. Well, let's not go down the fishing sidetrack because I think I put my I put my thoughts about fishing on the record on another podcast. You did indeed. Yeah, 
that's because there's hardly any fishermen, isn't it? There's hardly any fishermen, really, isn't well, there? I, that's I, why. I represent a fishing constituency, and fishing is really important. Do you? Hang on. Yeah, what do you mean is you represent a constituency that has a some fishermen yeah, in it? Yeah, but let me... Look, in terms uh, of actually well, what's most important in your constituency, it ain't the fishermen. Well, actually, you know, and, and I was going to give you a bit of context. Fishing's really important, but there's on fishing, what's really important is also, because it tends to be um, shellfish that comes in, um, and then often makes its way from places like Pit and Ween to be in restaurants in Paris, Madrid, Brussels the, yeah. night, the night after. So it relies heavily on the customs union. But actually, you're right. The biggest employer in my constituency, by quite some distance, is Ooh. the University of St Andrews. Oh, I was going to guess the RNA. No, golf, no, no. golf's oh, look, like really big. Look, golf is very valuable, and that's why it I employ am many the, people. I am, no, it does. Gee, I mean, look, I am. I'm the chair of the all-party group on golf. Really? Yeah. Is there like some sort of special competition? Do you get invited to pro-ams? Do you wear hats? Um, <laughs> How do I get into this? How do I get involved in this? I hope we don't get invited to pro-ams because I'm not, I'm not, I don't really play golf. How did but, you get to chair? Well, just because, because you've got St Andrews because, in your constituency. Because golf is about the health benefits. It's about the, so, so I think about the number of bed and breakfasts, cafes, other small businesses that this exist is, because of golf. This is an outrage. You're chairing the golf APPG and you don't even play golf because it's focused on it's the industry it's not about the economy it's not about the spirit of the game it's, it's not just it's about not, the cold hard cash it's of... not just about playing it's about all the other benefits oh, of the it's an important is, industry this is a scandal absolute scandal um, do you right. play? yes I do very very badly that's why I was wondering if there's programs I'm, I'm, get invited to you know. believe it or not I'm also a trustee of um, of all the links trust golf courses including the old course in St Andrews well, it just gets worse and worse this is wasted on you as well if it was something you actually played you could be playing the old course all but the time critically critically I am the MP for Dundee United's training grounds in St Andrews oh well <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that that's, <laughs> that's, that's like not a good thing well it's where Dundee United go to well, Dundee United are getting better aren't they're they getting they're better. Going, I just, yeah. I'm, although, I'm still starting had, the season they're being rubbish but I had a howler against Air United the other week uh, you're not chair of an APPG on football as well are you no no right. <laughs> oh, no, no he's interested yeah. can I get some free tickets for that uh, you know when, no. Le- when Leeds meet Dundee United in the Anglo-Scottish Cup or something the Champions League that's, that's, Champions really, that's League. the only time place they're going to meet <laughs> that's it um, actually I was, I was nicking ideas because I was hearing all about the Leeds United toddler on the other night. Oh, don't God, get me started. Don't start him on Leeds United. Don't get me started yeah. on that. I've ordered four oh. so far. Yes. Um, and what 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 happens? Do they all melt in May or something? So Leeds United toddler. They go, consider. They go a bit soft in May they or something. Say Leeds United and, uh, melt away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's quite a good joke. I thought that's kind. But is it, <laughs> is, 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 it a, is it a pre-Brexit or a post-Brexit toddler on? Well, I think even pre-Brexit, they're a bit smaller, aren't they? They're a bit smaller, yeah. yeah. Well, they'd see so the impact the game felt already. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's if it's Leeds thing. United, they'll have a big box, you know, make it out they're a big team, and then inside they'll just be a little bit of chocolate. <laughs> big team, right? Sleeping yeah. giant. Sleeping, Sleeping giant, giant, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, right, we've been distracted. Well, there might be fudge inside or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> don't, no, 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 don't start bringing up fudge and cake again. But that does bring us back to Brexit, which yeah, is what we're okay. supposed to be talking Sorry, about. Right. right, why then, if Scotland loves the EU so much, there's chaos in Westminster, why on earth is uh, Scotland not screaming to get out of the UK? Well, because it isn't. We're, no, that's, that's... Look, I think, first of all, the first thing, we need to see where this ends. And actually, to be to be serious, Nicola Sturgeon's already said, um, deciding whether or not to have another independence referendum, let's see first where this lands. Now, given that the fact that things are changing, not just by the day, but by the hour at the moment... 
Yeah. That seems like an eminent proposition because how do you possibly give people a choice between two different futures if you don't know what one of those futures actually looks like? The future has been determined by our Tory government. At because the one of those futures is Brexit, and you just said Scotland doesn't want Brexit. Yeah, but so what, it's as simple as that, isn't well, it? Well, what happens if you get a second referendum? What happens if you get a Norway style deal? What happens if you crash out with no deal? Well, we you don't leave know, either but, way. Well, not, not, not with a second referendum or a revocation of Article 50, you don't. And, and it's a court case, mm. and we have, we have the good professor here, but we can correct me. But as a court case said, Westminster can stop the button on Article 50 any time it chooses. Would you say it was easier to... Would it, would it be easier for an independent Scotland to be an EU member if it happened before Brexit or if it happened after we'd left? I mean, I think... I mean, it was like the, the, the great Neil McCormack, much missed Professor Neil McCormack, um, coined the term internal enlargement, you know, to make the, yeah. the case mm-hmm. for, you know, a, a member, an existing member state within the EU. I think that would be preferable, you know, because actually... But your policy means you can't get that because you have to wait and see well, and by I, then... I said it would be preferable, but that's not the situation. Right. You know, I mean, that's 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 the, the, the stuff of politics is, is you know, you, 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 you have to take the world as... As you find it now, I think it'd be preferable. But but the other reason why you want to see a revocation of Article Fifty, as I think it would be far better for Scotland that England and Wales were full member states. I mean, that's not a matter for me to choose, but I think it'd be much better for us. I want to see everybody in these islands as a a member state, you know, as as, as members of the European Union. It'd be better for Ireland. It'd be better for Scotland. It'd be better for people of Northern Ireland and the people of England and Wales as well. Um. All right, I'll come back to that in just I don't a think second. I think dreadfully no, but I just that. want to pick up on your point. You talked about Nicola Sturgeon not calling a second independence referendum, yada, yada, yada. Yet. But what I said was, why are the people of Scotland not hammering down the door to get out of the UK? Because the, all the polling evidence is that they're not. Now, is it just because they're not interested? Well, we're seeing them. Or do they not trust oh. you guys to take them down yeah. a, a, into a good place? Because so, everything's chaotic here. I mean, I, you, you can see yeah. there's a big push factor away yeah. from Westminster because yeah. it's absolute chaos. But is the pull factor not strong enough? What's going on? No, I think, I think genuinely people want to see where this lands. I mean, we had the, the poll the other day that, that, that came out, one, one, one from LBC. Now, you guys can, you know... Tell me how much we, sh- we should or shouldn't read into these polls, but it did show, you know, if it's a no deal Brexit, a very high level of support for independence, you know, um, people want to see where this lands. And one, one thing that I do and other politicians do is that every week, less so now as we move into Christmas, but every week we try and go out chapping doors, speaking to people. Now that's utterly unscientific and I will horrify the political scientists who are who are listening to it. But one, one thing it does do, and I think everybody of all, all political parties would recognise, it gives you a feel for what's for mm. what's going on. So it doesn't have the science behind it, but just mm. chapping somebody's door and having a chat with them about what's bothering mm. them. And first of all, people want government to, to go on, so I get the regular stuff about, you know, potholes and schools, it's local authority mm-hmm. um, responsibility, which is fine, you know. Um, you get the stuff about health services and some Scottish government responsibilities, and I also get Brexit. Mm-hmm. And, and what's interesting is is that in my constituency in particular, given the large number of, say, university staff who live, you know, between St Andrews, Dundee, Dundee and Abertay, you know, a big cluster, there is a focus on Brexit. And I've noticed a few people who have gone from no voters to become yes voters, but a lot more people saying to me, I want to see how this pans out. 
Because look, if I don't know what's going to happen by the end of the day, mm. then you know, and I and I work in this environment at Westminster, then it is difficult for folk just now. I, I think to figure mm. out what's. It's difficult for me, you know, to figure out. And I don't know if you guys have got a crystal ball. Well, would you agree with that, Anna? I mean, the only thing I would say to that is, as you say, we don't know what's happening by the hour. Most people are only tuning in at 10 o'clock every night to watch the news and find out what's going well, on. Well, I would say. Anyway, but right. is that true that most people are sort of waiting and seeing? That wasn't the sense I got from your party conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, at your party conference, I got a sense of a real tension. I mean, and I, these aren't voters, these are members, yeah, so it's yeah, a different class yeah. of people. But they were champing at the bit, and my sense was that you and your team were there saying, look, we've got to wait. And actually, there was a real pushback. Mm-hmm from the floor because mm. people were anxious to get on with it. Folk are anxious to, to get to independence and, and we all agree that we want to get there because we think that'll be better for us economically, better for you know our future, our children's futures, all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and colleagues in other parties have a different view and that's entirely legitimate. But within our own party, yeah, there are some folk who are a wee bit impatient to, 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 to get there. But I think this is also about delivering Scottish, you know, Scottish independence at the right time as well. And that's an entirely legitimate debate to be had. And I know you'll have heard different views on that from mm. within the party. I mean, the one, all parties are having their differences um, at the moment, but at least in the, <laughs> astonishingly, at least in the SNP, we have unity of purpose. Um, we, we, we're all pretty united on where we want to get to. And that's really big. It's just how we get there. You know that, that some people may have a different view. They're quite weird, aren't they? As, as the author of Old as the author of Brexit and British politics, very good book. Um, the SNP are a bit weird in, in British politics in that sense. Well, they're they are so uh, yeah, united, traditional in that way. I don't like. Yeah, that. yeah. I do find uh, the second referendum thing quite weird. Would you agree that in, in, what in the sense that way? the SNP? We're all like, ah, maybe second referendum, maybe not, whatever, we want independence. And then Nicola said, yeah, well, we quite like a second referendum, we'll back it if it comes into, into Westminster. And suddenly all these MPs, SNP MPs were like, oh yeah, we love second referendums, let's have a second referendum now, brilliant. Come on, that was a bit, I find that a bit freaky. Well, it's politics, I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't judge them all. Is that, that. normal I mean, politics? Well, yeah, and everything else is abnormal at the moment. Well, it's normal politics in the context yeah. of today, I think. I mean, like yesterday's... Was it yesterday? I'm losing track. The, the whole sort of fight over Labour's failure to call a confidence motion. Yes. I mean, that was a cipher for a fight over a second referendum, as far as I could see, mm-hmm. in the sense that everyone knows that, you know, the danger for Corbyn is you have the confidence motion, you will almost certainly lose it, and then actually what's next on the Labour shopping list? Oh, God. It's the thing he doesn't want to talk yeah. about. Uh, okay. Well, let's just... See on it. Can I pick you up on the second referendum? Yes. Yeah. Um, you'd be surprised if I didn't. More than two years ago now, Scottish government published. So just after the referendum, just let's you know the timeline here, and actually it's one that we should have with the yeah. UK government. I think just after the the morning after the second referendum, when after was you know as David Cameron was resigning, the Nic- morning after the the EU, EU referendum, referendum, right? Yeah, David Cameron was resigning. Nicola Sturgeon was out there saying, you know, we need to. EU nationals, this is your home, and we, and we forget that, the yes. human element, and I get that in my surgeries all the time, there's a really overlooked human element about mm-hmm. people who are feeling really um, quite unsure about their future. Yeah, and the government screwed that up. And, and the government screwed, screwed it up yeah. really badly. Um, but one thing that she did that was critical, she then put together a, a commission with European Court of Justice judge, colleagues from other political parties, mm-hmm. experts in their fields, 
And that commission came up with Scotland's place in Europe mm-hmm. two years ago mm-hmm. now, you know, it took, it took those six months, came up with, and that came up with a compromise, which was we, Scotland voted to remain, we want to remain, but look, here's our compromise for the whole of the UK. Mm-hmm. Now, when you put forward a compromise, and we pushed that, and the UK government didn't speak to us, didn't speak, and still haven't spoke to us. Mm-hmm. So I think legitimately, the SNP and Nicola pushed that compromise. Mm-hmm. And then when it became clearer that the UK government just were not going to engage with that compromise, then you can move on to look at other options. And that's why it was appropriate to then move on to something else like the second referendum. Well, there's some dispute about that, I'd suggest. There's a very good piece on the New Statesman website uh, Mm -hmm. written around the SNP conference Mm -hmm. by uh me um about uh come on you don't want a second referendum because if you then won an independence vote you there'd be a second referendum no, and i know there's there's discussion about Sorry, it, dispute about it. come on some people that's true come on the, some people in the party you know well uh, you know that is true some people in the party said yes there is a concern that if we have a second eu referendum then if we won an independence referendum that would set a precedent we'd but, have to have and a, a, a referendum on the deal sure. of leaving but, the uk but there's a vital difference and it's a difference to every single election plebiscite referendum that, that you have in the scottish independence referendum we published 650 page white paper mm-hmm. fiscal commission working groups you know mm-hmm. we did all that before the vote yes right which and and, and look and, and people will be listening to this who are in, in favour of the union and critical of that white paper, that's okay. Yes. You know, that is why you do it. That's But also, had we won that referendum, there would have been a template to move forward and we would have had a responsibility to have implemented what we promised we would have done as far as possible. In the same way that before every general election, each and every party hoping to be in the position to implement its manifesto publishes its manifesto before the election. But there's but still been a negotiation. You'd have had to have a negotiation mm. with London about currency, about banking supervision, about all those sorts. And you might not have got what you promised. No, but that's but that's the same even after an election, whereby you 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 you're held to account for the manifesto you're trying to implement. But let me just draw contrast. So we've got a situation whereby Parliament has been given a blank piece of paper. So all these people that said, "Well, I just voted to leave," you know, all these Tory guys here saying, "Just voted to leave," and mm. you're saying, "Well." What does that mean for, you know, the customs stuff in terms of getting our food mm-hmm. and drink off? What's that mean for universities and the research? You know, are we still in Horizon 2020? Can we still, you know, get our customs stuff? All this stuff, we've got given a blank piece of paper. Now, either you just let Parliament fill out that blank piece of paper and not be accountable to anybody, or you fill out that blank piece of paper and then you give people a choice at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Now, you're right, there would have been a negotiation in the event of Scottish independence, there will inevitably be a negotiation. But our white paper would have been the starting point for that negotiation, just in the same way that any manifesto had the Brexiteers, had the the courage, had the balls to publish something. That would have been the starting point for Parliament. And actually, that that would have had carried some legitimacy, you know, had the official Leave campaign published a, a template manifesto. Mm. It would have automatically carried some legitimacy in the aftermath of a referendum. And I would suggest, based on nothing, it might have lost them the referendum because there's something you can argue with. Would you agree, expert Anand? Oh yeah, yeah. I think if the lack of a plan helped them. Yeah, because okay. that could be all things to all men. Okay, but there you go. I'm not but, an expert. I got it right. But look at look at the mess we're in, and call, no, call me old. <laughs> it's all going terribly well, terribly well. Call me old fashioned. But we already have about ten years. Yeah, yeah. Call me old-fashioned, but shouldn't you have the courage of your convictions? 
put it up there. We did it with the white paper and it attracted criticism over. And you're right, it attracted criticism over, you know, defence, mm. EU, currency, all these areas. And I'm not saying it didn't attract, because it did. You know, mm. it's, it's a man, and I disagreed with it, but others had, again, legitimate points of view. Mm. But it enriched that debate. It made it a better debate. Um, and actually, the, and it's not just about the debate, it's about the aftermath. Now, two and a half years on, we're in a situation, not entirely of <coughs> Theresa May's making, to be fair to her, whereby we have a government in peacetime that's preparing for food shortages, that's preparing for medicine shortages, that's having to turn bits of the M20 in Kent into a lorry park, that's talking about the requisitioning of ferries to bring supplies in, in peacetime. That's grossly irresponsible. I don't care which political party you're in, that is a failure of government. Hang on. Is that fair? I mean, it seems to me they couldn't win in the sense that there are people out there who are saying it's grossly irresponsible not to plan for a negotiation that go wrong, so they're planning. Okay. I mean, they're not, they're not aiming for that outcome. What they're saying is, this is a negotiation. We don't know to the end of it, given Parliament, given the European Union, if it's going to pass. We have no choice but to make contingency plans. But they've been put into this situation by people who are members of government, people like Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, who promised the world, are now in government whereby they can, or you know, not, not, not so much Boris Johnson, but was in government for two years, foreign secretary, you know, very, very, very mm. senior position, mm-hmm. in the position to actually implement what he had campaigned for. And then came out the other end saying, oh, I can do anything. Yeah, I don't think it's as fair I as mean, Michael Gove, because he's there and he's backing the deal, and that's at least coherent. Sure, but then I'll say this about Michael Gove. For example, Michael Gove promised Scotland, you know, powers, some powers over immigration. Yeah. And then as soon as he got into government, he went, oh, no, I'm, I'm not, you know. How, how do you possibly hold it? So the reason that, that, that we're here is that we can be held to account. The reason I'm here is that I hold the government to account on behalf of my constituents, and I hold them to account... You know, for things I'd like to see them to do, but sometimes for things that they've said they do. How do we hold Michael Gove to account when he's saying, oh, I said that as a Leave campaigner, but now but I'm a government minister. That's the problem with referendums, isn't it? Is you can't Vote hold the victors yeah. to account. Oh, well, you, you could have done, so if, if, if we're drawing the direct comparison with the Scottish independence referendum, you could have held the Scottish government to account over its white paper. In fact, it was held to account over its white paper. Well, either way, I mean, either way, you can't. I mean, you know, as it turned out with the Scottish referendum, that pledge, there was. How would you hold those who made the pledge to account? The vow. Uh, the vow. That was it. The yeah, pledge. The pledge. The pledge was a TV program, wasn't it? Sure. Uh, but how but that, that is the significant problem that's the issue about whether you need another referendum after the referendum to implement whatever deal it is is, is there is no no because you've already got the template and also for example there are templates across the world of independent states there are several templates of what an independent member state of the European Union of a population of about five and a half million looks like you know yeah, it's right. there it's an edit. Someone said something boring or illegal. Maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. You'll never know. I think we just need to get rid of this government. They are a mess. And and for all that, that look, it's not not just about all of us sitting about discussing the intellectual wherewithal of Brexit. This is having a real impact right now. Like there are folk, I've had people in surgery, you know, worried about, say, medicines that come from outside the EU. How are mm-hmm. family members going to get hold of those medicines? E- EU nationals, I know I've mentioned it before, but this is, this is really important, is that folk who have made a home somewhere, wherever that happens to be, who are contributing, paying their taxes, they might be putting family members through, you know, kids through school and all the rest of it. And they have that uncertainty. And I think... 
it's easy in the Westminster bubble to lose sight of that sometimes. So, which is why I think representative democracy and you know, and and, and surgeries are so important. Let me sort of hypothetical to you then. Let's imagine yeah. there's a vote of confidence and it passes. So, uh-huh. you end up with that fourteen day period. Yeah. Would you and the SNP serve in a government of transnational unity, which we might have to call it because of you lot? Would have to. Would. We'd have to look at the set the set of circumstances, but I don't think you need to do that. I mean, you can have there are lots of different options or confidence in supply arrangements, minority governments. There's one thing about the culture at Westminster that I find really striking. So I was a special advisor in the Scottish Parliament when the SNP had forty seven um, seats, Labour had forty six, the Conservatives had eighteen, Liberal Democrats had seventeen, and the Greens had two. Now. On every single... Now, we passed a budget... You should go slowly now, because James is just doing some adding up in his head. Yeah. Oh, I, I was there, I know, like this. I know this. This is the bit about how the SNP uh, governed with the Tories. No, it's not. Actually, if you look at the voting, it was more often with Labour and the Liberal Democrats. The, the general point here is that minority government is quite normal. And actually, the referendum... Sorry, the, the general election of 2017 ironically made Westminster that little bit more European because actually in other European legislatures, Spain at the moment, Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, um, you have you can have minority governments and it's a perfectly normal thing to do. But you need a political culture to go with it. I mean, that's the difference. Mm. Well, yeah, but with it, well, yes, but actually, if you were to have another general election and there's a strong likelihood you'd have another hung parliament... Should it be for the population to keep up with the Westminster political culture or should it be for the Westminster political culture to keep up with the population? I think the latter. No, no, I take your point, but and, the reality and, is Westminster struggles with this, doesn't it? Because so it's just not the way well, the parties... catch up, for goodness sake, catch up. Theresa May has never really engaged with anybody else except for the DUP. We're not going to have this discussion here, but there is one vital difference, of course, which mm-hmm. is that Scotland has PR. And that yeah. is vital, right? No, that's vital, but it doesn't look when 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 you have a makeup of parliament. But remember, but that's because that's why Scotland is designed to have minorities, or yeah, well, absolutely designed to have minorities. Yeah, but remember, after, actually broke the system yeah, in twenty eleven. In two thousand eleven, you had a majority government, and now we're back to yeah. a, a minority government. You know, we didn't lose as much ground as the Conservatives did at the the general election, but you know, it was minority government. Now, but I remember even after two thousand eleven, you. Know, us going to the other parties, trying to talk to them, engage with them. Now it does two things, and 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 look, it's not about the system as well. The system's important, and I'm in favour of proportional representation because you have to talk to each other and engage mm. with one another. It's and it, it is about what you do with that parliament. You can't sit there every time there's a hung parliament, sit in your hands and go, "Oh, we can't do anything for the next five years." You just cannot do it. You have to get on and speak to people. Now, there's a failure of the culture in here. That is not the fault. You do not blame <coughs> the voters and say, well, it should have delivered the majority. It's not their fault. Okay. Our fault. We're, we're the ones who have got to deliver something. And that failure to engage, I think, is Theresa biggest failure. Um, okay. Um, what are you doing under the table, Anna? Are you unwrapping? Are you unwrapping? Are you unwrapping? I'm going to hear something crackling. I was like, what's he doing? Well, I could hear something crackling in the background. That was my knee. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, I want to do one question to each to both of you, and then we'll move on to the features. Anand, would Brexit have been more manageable if we had had proportional representation, do you think? Well, a lot of this around that. I mean, yeah. if we'd had a culture of consensual politics, yeah. possibly, yes. Which PR but I still would think, I mean, to be honest, I still think because... 
the population is divided and the structure of the referendum was such that all we said was we want to leave. We didn't say we want to leave out. A lot of the ambiguities and the problems that we have now would exist even then. Okay. We would be squabbling yeah. over what that vote meant. Stephen Gethins, majority of two. Just how desperate are you to get rid of this government? Oh, are you willing to have a general election? Yeah, of course I am. I mean, you're, saying, that you're, talking about, you're talking about minority government. Don't you really want Corbyn to form a minority government so you don't have to go and no, face the look, this is, neighbours look, again that first didn't things, vote for you? First things first, my neighbours did vote for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, somebody, <laughs> in your, somebody, in your street, somebody in your street must have not voted for you. If they does, had, they would have it does, been... It does, it does, it does. I live in quite a small village, so we make things very awkward. <laughs> um, so... You're up for a general election. Yeah, of course I am. I think, first of all, the really important thing, if you get into being in the job of being an MP, is that the job is bigger than you as as, as an individual. You've got to recognise that. You're here to represent your constituents, not represent yourself. Um, and, and given the mess that, 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 that we are in, nobody should be holding on for dear life if you think the better thing to do is to deliver a general election. And to be to be fair, there are colleagues, you know, there are a lot of good people who are, I know this is an unpopular opinion, who are in there of all political parties that you get on with, and I think they're in it for the right reasons, even where we disagree. So I'd embrace a general election. And then also on the politics of the whole thing, um, there was a particular surge. We saw a surge in the Tory vote, went up about 36% in my constituency. Mm-hmm. That ain't going to be there anymore, you know, with the mishandling um, of, of of Brexit. And the SNP did lose ground. The Liberals lost ground. Yeah. Um, you and know, you had a baby. I've just remembered. That's why you weird. won an election. You were a bit tired last time. Well, no, might have a bit more energy this time round. That's we, why we, you're like, oh, I'll run a proper campaign. I wouldn't We had a baby a week before polling day, which yeah. I would recommend to nobody. That's <laughs> um, why you're like, it'll so be a lot easier I, this time round. I spent, I spent a critical weekend. I said a critical weekend. I was at a weekend. Um, just before the election in a maternity suite for the whole weekend. Yeah. yeah. So you reckon you could improve on that majority of two if you weren't spending like a week of it in hospital like looking after a baby. So. Um, right, let's play Brexit Family Fortunes. It's Brexit Family Fortunes. And here is your host, James Miller. You, do you like the jingle one, Ed? I've never heard the jingle. No, I know you've not. It's <laughs> an absolute outrage. Um, this is right. Re- Family Fortunes obviously asks a hundred people something, and you have to sort of vaguely guess what their answers are. Um, the UK and Changing Europe has a thing called the Brexit Policy Panel, um, which requires a jingle of its own. Which sure. are a uh, hundred experts making their predictions about Brexit. I don't know why you've done this. It's a terrible idea. It's fantastic. Because nobody can predict anything, and all that happens is that your hundred experts end up looking a bit silly. Devaluing the profession. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Anyway, it's your, I don't know whose idea it was, but anyway, I'm just paid to do this. Uh, second referendum. If there was a second referendum, how many of the 100 experts think that Theresa May's deal would be the winning solution? Assuming there's three things on the ballot paper. I know that's a big assumption. 100 experts. Um, I think I'll go for, if out of 100 of them, I'll go for two or three because you'll always get somebody wanting to be thrown okay yeah 22 have you seen the results is that what you're talking about 27 27 percent think deal should we let's go there then okay how many you think remain would win a second referendum um 70 55 51 you have seen the results you have The second question. Oh well, this is. Oh, let's go for this one. Will Will leave the EU on March the twenty ninth? 
How many of the 100 experts think the UK will leave the EU on March the 29th? 55. 73. 65. Ooh, Does that mean you're closer? You win. Right. Again, you've won again. But <laughs> down from 76 last month. See, that's just down a big... 76 it's, October it's a cabal of experts. 65 oh, in November. Oh, <laughs> um, and... Uh, I don't know why that was better. You did better this time. I know. Maybe we'll keep I'm that feature impressed. on. You've done quite well. It makes yeah. you look good. Uh, let's finish with... Uh, what's it called, Anand? It's called In the Unlikely Event That Something Else. Oh, good start. Yeah. In the unlikely event this podcast has proved insufficiently enlightening or something like that. In the unlikely event this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. What have you seen, read, listened to and thought that goes to the heart of the issue? Do you know, do you know something that actually this goes back way, way back to the beginning? I'm one of the few MPs to have actually worked in the European institutions and worked in Brussels. I would thoroughly recommend just go and read the very, very, very basic slimline book about what the EU does because it's not some big government. It can't sit there or, you know, and I've sat with my head in my hands as Tory MPs and Labour MPs have sat prophetising about their um, particular view with not the slightest clue about what the different European institutions do. What is this Re- book? Is there such a book? Yeah, there are. I mean, you can get it on the, 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 the Commission website. Anand, what are you going to recommend for me this time? I've just started reading a novel called Middle England. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, that does sound Which one's that? Is that? Who's well, that I by? I can't remember the author. Is it the, the Birmingham guy? Is it, what's his name? I Jonathan Coe or something? Or, uh, from the uh, you never, you never who's, who's got, get to got. see the cover page. In the name of full disclosure, and in order to comply with the Bribery Act or something, I ought to admit that when we interviewed Stephen last week, his office was full of goodie bags containing uh, samples of products produced in his Northeast Fife constituency. And he gave me one, and it contained a lovely tea towel, which included instructions on how to make perfect porridge. That was good. A little bottle of whiskey, some tonic and an iron brew flavoured chocolate, which was Bofin. Don't go there, people. Uh, I know Heston Blumenthal might try and tell you this sort of fusion stuff is the future, but iron brew flavoured chocolate is a bad thing. Just stick with the iron brew over the festive period. Um, Interesting stuff there in that conversation. I thought, what would the SNP do in the event of a confidence vote, which has yet to happen? and may never happen. We'll see how things pan out in the new year because it looks like now we can freewheel into Christmas, put Brexit behind us for a few days at least, maybe even a few weeks if we're lucky, and we'll reconvene in the new year to see what the next steps are in the Brexit process. And when Parliament and the politicians and the wonks do, we will of course be there with the Brexit breakdown providing more interesting interviews and expert analysis. If you want to discuss anything in that podcast or indeed nominate people that you think we should be interviewing in the new year as Brexit unfolds, as Brexit happens in 2019, uh, get in touch. I'm at Political Yeti on Twitter or UK in a Changing Europe podcasts at gmail.com on the email or you can get me through my website which is james-miller.com and you'll find a big long list of all the recommendations there, uh, the good, the bad and the indifferent um, if you want to get in touch with UK and a Changing Europe directly, 
They are at UK and EU on Twitter or their website is ukandeu.ac.uk and you'll find all the previous episodes of the Brexit Breakdown on there if you've really got nothing better to do over Christmas. Frankly, I've seen the TV listings magazines. There isn't much better to do over Christmas. Why not binge on Brexit conversation? Yeah, do come back in the new year uh, for more of this combination of high intelligence and low nonsense. In the meantime, I will wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And thanks for listening through 2018. We go into our third year next year. Uh, This has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK to Changing Europe, supported by King's College London, funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. The music, again, has been the Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. Happy Christmas, Happy New Year, goodbye. (laughs) 